laugh. <laughs> I think the most exciting thing that happened in Downey was when In-N-Out Burger came in. So, you know, so that, there we go. Um, I am going to talk to you about the Bible. The Bible. Bible brings better news than you thought is the title of this talk. I first began to read the Bible when I came to the United States. I came here at the age of 14, and I didn't really speak the language. I had a couple years of junior high English as sort of like, you know, you take Spanish or Chinese if you do in high school or junior high for a couple of years. So I knew the alphabet. And I knew how to like say, where is the bathroom? That was critical, you know. But that was about it. And so I thought, you know, this is important to learn this language if I'm going to survive here. And the Bible was the only book I could find that had Korean and English side by side. So that's why I began to read the Bible. Because I didn't grow up a Christian, my father was a professor of German philosophy. And German philosophers are not known for their faith. <laughs> you know, like Nietzsche and Kant. These people are not, you know. And so that was not my upbringing. So I had no faith growing up. So I started reading the Bible. And my father thought that was a good idea because now I'm here, you know, might as well understand the Americans. And so I began to read the Bible, and <clears throat> it impressed me. It impressed me greatly. Not because of its content, but because it put me to sleep every time I read it. <laughs> How many of you ever had that experience? It was just impressive. And... And uh, obviously, I'm kind of half-joking, but I had trouble going to sleep. I actually was, I came here by myself. My parents sent me here by myself, and I didn't speak the language, and I was just stressed out. And so I was having a hard time falling asleep. But whenever I read the Bible, I could go to sleep. And that, I thought, was very interesting. Because I could read any number of things to just bore me out of my mind. But this one put me to sleep. And I thought, huh, there's some power in this thing. You know? And so uh, that kind of began my journey with faith. And I began to wonder about God. And that's another story. But anyway, I gained respect for the Bible. And lots of people, uh, even those outside of faith, have respect for the Bible. And the Bible says good things happen to those who read it. For example, Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the person whose delight is in the law of the Lord. Law of the Lord is referring to the Bible. So, you know, blessed is the person whose delight is in the Bible. And on the Bible, he or she meditates day and night. He or she is like a tree planted by streams 
of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither, whatever he or she does prospers. So this is describing someone who's in love with the Bible and just reads it all the time, day and night. They love the Bible. And what happens to this person? I find that very interesting because it basically says if you love the Bible, you become juicy. <laughs> right? You never dry up. You're, you're just juicy person. You're a juicy life is what happens to people who love the Bible. It doesn't say if you read the Bible, you'll become a righteous person. If you read the Bible, you will know all the right doctrines. If you read the Bible, you know, it says you'll get juicy life. And I think that's very interesting because that's not our first guess at what the Bible might say about what happens to people who read the Bible. Our impressions are, I mean, let me just put it this way. You know, have you ever seen or met a person who just carries around a big Bible? You know, it just loves the Bible, you know, bangs the Bible. You know, every time you talk to them, they're talking about the Bible and they have this big Bible. If you run across, if you're walking down the street and there's a guy coming down and he's got his eyes on you, he's got a big Bible and he's coming at you. Now, what do you think? Run, <laughs> right? You do not think, oh, here comes a juicy person. <laughs> you do not think this person must have a juicy life. You think, oh, I'm going to get lectured. Oh, this is going to get really boring. Oh, this is going to get really dry, right? And so there seems to be this complete disconnect between what, this, what the Bible is saying about what should happen to people who love the Bible and our experience of people who love the Bible, and you just think, wow, that's not just a disconnect. This is complete opposites. So maybe we're missing something. Maybe there's some kind of misconnect here, you know, where perhaps we are not really approaching the Bible in the right way. Maybe we're not getting what is supposed to deliver and getting something else instead. Is that possible? Right? That, that has to be, right? Because I think a lot of people find the Bible dry and difficult because it just seems irrelevant and troubling at times. How many of you have been disturbed by the Bible at times? Or found it irrelevant? Leviticus, anyone? Numbers, you know, and it just kind of feels, how does this really relevant to my life and these disturbing things and I mean, it's a good thing, but it tends to like sit in the shelf and people don't read it that often, right? But if it's supposed to deliver a juicy life, now that's a different deal. Right? I mean, if they were selling pills, and I said, if you take this pill, it's guaranteed to give you juicy life. I think that would sell well, right? 
And so what are we missing? Is there an approach to the Bible we are missing? There is a passage in the Bible that talks about the Word of God. The Word of God. The Word. So I think it's about the Bible or whatever God is saying and how we should approach it. It's from Mark chapter 4. It's a long passage. Spare with me. Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables and in his teaching said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, multiplying 30, 60, or even 100 times. Then Jesus said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others like seed sown on rocky places hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seed sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seed excuse me, sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop. 30, 30 60, or even 100 times that was sown. He said to them, do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed. Whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. Anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. How many of you have run across read this passage before. All right. It's a very famous passage. Considered the queen of the parables. Talks about the secret of the kingdom of God. And so considered a very important passage. And it's about the word, right? It's about the, what God speaks to us about. About the Bible. Now, I have a question for you. Is there anything in this passage that you have found disturbing? Tell me, what was disturbing? Right. So have you noticed this 
this little section, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. Can we like highlight that? Yeah. But to, do, to the others, but to those, but to the others, he spoke in parables so that they would be ever seeing but never perceiving and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Have you guys ever given any thought to this little section? What in the world is Jesus saying here? He is saying, okay, okay, to you select few, that's right here, okay, you, I will explain things, but everyone outside in the world, I will speak in this thing called parables. These stories, these garbled up stories, so that, my purpose in doing this, so that, they will never understand. Otherwise, they might turn and get forgiven. Right? I mean, you just think, well, wait a minute. I, I, I thought that Jesus' whole program was to get people forgiven. What, what, what in the... Right? I mean, this is when you start to wonder about translation issues. Right? <laughs> Did they hear him right? And so you study Greek, and you look at the, the interlinear, you look at different versions, and you, you find out this is the right translation, right? So what is he saying? He's saying, I want to confuse people so that they will never understand, otherwise they might get forgiven. Wow. That is disturbing, yes, and confusing, yes? Yes, Bible is sometimes confusing, not just here, but there are other sections where it gets confusing too, right? Anything else here that was confusing to you? Most often people find this also uh, disturbing that, that to those who has, more will be given, Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. I mean, isn't God supposed to be like nice? Is God a capitalist? Right? Isn't that like capitalistic credo, you know? Rich gets richer, poor gets poorer. Isn't God supposed to be like nicer than that? What is that about, right? Like, if you got it, you will get more. If you don't got it, you just screwed don't, don't even, like, try. I, I mean, what? Now, lots of confusing things, right? So, you're confused and disturbed. What was your response? If you're like me, I suspect you kind of like, okay, next chapter. It's a big book, you know? There's more materials. Right? Yes? You just kind of assume maybe there's something in there, but, uh, you know, ah, whatever. <laughs> Numbers, you know, you just skip, you know, right? <laughs> whatever. It's a big book. And I think one of the reasons we just kind of want to skim over these disturbing parts is because we assume that Bible is supposed to be clear and is supposed to give us answers, not create more questions. 
So you don't want those parts that create more questions. You're supposed to give you answers. And so we move, move on. I just want to like say to you today that it's actually in those confusing, disturbing parts where you will find gold. You know, that's actually not the right way to approach the Bible, to assume that it's supposed to give just clear answers. I think when Jesus says here, with the measure you use, it will be given back to you. Consider carefully what you hear. He's asking or he's telling people to put in some effort. Yes? And so let's put in some effort and take a look at this. There are three stages to keep in mind as you read the Bible. First is observation. What does the passage say? Observation. What does the passage say? And second is interpretation. What does the passage mean? What does the passage mean? Third is application. What does the passage mean for me? I would like to propose that for most of us, we focus on step two. We are always worried about and concerned about what does it mean? Give me some answers. What could this possibly mean? And we come up with all kinds of answers for that. And we don't spend enough time observing or doing it. <laughs> and I just find Christian faith not that hard to understand. God loves us. He died for us. Love people. What, what more do we really need to know? But it's very hard to do. Very hard to love. You know? But we are very much concerned about number two all the time. And number two doesn't work very well unless we spend a lot of time in number one. We should observe more than we interpret first. So let's do some observation of this passage. What is happening in this passage? One trick I use when I read the Bible is I pretend I'm seeing a movie. You know, if this was a movie, what would it look like? If this was a movie, this passage, what would be the first scene? The first scene would be there's just lots and lots of people. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people because it says that Jesus had to go out into the lake. Anybody know why he might have to do that? To get some distance and? Yeah, too much crowding. So he had to go out. And water acts like a natural PA system. It amplifies the sound a little bit. Jesus is used to speaking to tens of thousands of people. For him to take this action, it must be a big crowd. And that's what he says. There was a large crowd. Many, many people. So if this was a movie, you would see just tons of people. And Jesus is on the lake. And he's teaching. And he teaches. He tells some stories. He tells a story about a farmer and other stories like that, parables. And then what happens? After he's done, it seems like people go away. Because he says, when he was alone. Right? So that must mean that people left. Are they all gone? No. Who's left? Who's left? The disciples and the others. That's good. You're observing. 
It's not just the disciples, right? There's others. What can we tell about these others? Are they men or women? Jews, Gentiles, people of faith, don't have faith, criminals, good people, bad people. Do we know anything about them? I mean, we know lots of things about the apostles. We know their name, when they are men, they were Jews. We don't know anything about the others. I think that's intentional. Why he says just others. Keep that in mind. The Bible is very careful about what it puts in there. Others. Not able to tell who they are. So how can we distinguish them? What was the, what made them special? Well, it looks like when everybody else left, these people stuck around to ask Jesus some questions. Yes? Have you ever been in like a class where your teacher or professor or whatever is just, you know, is trying to give you some lessons and, you know, you are in there, but, you know, you were at a party last night and you had a little too many to drink and you're a little bit hungover and you really like whatever they are saying is just blah, blah, blah. And so you have no idea what's happening. Has that happened to any of you here? <laughs> Come on, we are in safe space. It's okay, right? Where, you know, or, you know, you, you're fine. You're not drunk, but, you know, you just don't understand what they're saying. You just don't understand. You didn't do the homework. You didn't do pre-work, and you have no idea. Anybody? I did. That was, just like, that was like half my college experience. <laughs> I'm just sitting there, and the professor's going on and on and on, and I'm like, What? And then, you know, it's time to go. The bell rings, dismissed. And how many of you stayed to ask questions? Wow, you are awesome. I pretty much never did that. I would just get out of there because I want to, you know, go home and have fun. Uh, but as I lived, there would always be like two or three people that are like ask, staying to ask, and I would, just, I would just think to myself, losers, you know? I can figure this out on my own, you know? And it's brown nosers, you know? No, they are not losers. They are winners. But I, I don't want to feel bad about myself, so I'm, you know, telling myself I'm, I'm the winner by going home not understanding anything <laughs> while I'm paying... My parents are paying a lot of money for this, as well as scholarship, but, you know, I don't want to feel bad about that, so I want to call them losers. But anyway, so disciples and others, these are the brown nosers, right? These are that, those few annoying people who make you feel bad by staying around. Grace, you probably stayed to ask questions. I knew you in college. You are the goody-two-shoot student, you know? And so I would be going, I'm not doing that. So they are them, right? They are those people who stayed around to ask questions. And Jesus says, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. Secret of the kingdom of God. Doesn't that like sound like so, oh, like holy grail-ish? The secret of the kingdom of God. This is the key. Let's see. This is the secret. 
right? If Jesus came and said, this is the, I have a secret to tell you, the secret to everything you ever wanted. I mean, wouldn't you think, now that's intriguing, right? The secret to the kingdom of God. How many of you want to know that? It's the secret to the kingdom of God. This is everything. He doesn't say that anywhere else, ever. This is the secret to the kingdom of God. And he says, you know, to you has been given this. And I'm not just thinking, you know, I want to know secret. Do you want to know the secret? I know. I, what is it? What could this secret be? And many people have speculated many ways. You know, some including, and it must be the interpretation of the parable, you know. All kinds of things. But they're all speculations. What does this passage tell us that is directly observational about the secret of the kingdom of God? Is there anything in this passage that we can say for sure, directly, this is what secret of the kingdom of God is or describes it? Any adjective, anything. I'm going to propose to you that this passage does not tell you anything about the secret of the kingdom of God except one thing. Anybody have a guess? Anybody have a guess? To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. That is the only direct thing that's not under dispute. That's not speculation. And what can we tell from that sentence? Is there anything we can say? about that sentence. Alright. Anything? They already has been is a past present whatever grammar that is. I mean I forget. <laughs> what is it? I don't know. Past perfect whatever. Right? But it is in the past. Has been given. It is not will be given to you. It is not about to be given to you. It is has been given to you. So they already have it. As they come up. So it cannot be the interpretation of the parable. That's excluded. Because they don't know what it means. That's what they're asking. They're coming up saying, what the heck did you mean by that little story? We have no idea what that means. Right? And, he's, and Jesus says, you already have the secret. So it cannot be the understanding of the parable. They already have it. That's the only clue. There's only one thing that distinguishes these people from those on the outside to whom everything is said in parables. That is, they stay to ask. That's the only thing they already have that everyone else doesn't have. Therefore, that must be the secret of the kingdom of God. There's nothing else. Asking Jesus directly is the secret of the kingdom of God. There's no other possibility. That has to be. Then he says, don't you understand this parable? Well, duh, they just came up and said, we don't understand this parable. Can you explain it to us? 
And then he says, how then will you understand any parable? And we usually read it like some kind of scolding. That's how we grew up, you know. You, you know, my older brother would say, you stupid idiot, you know, you don't understand this. How are you going to understand anything? Anybody familiar? So that's kind of how we understand this. But, you know, if we understand it that way, that's really confusing because Jesus just said, I speak everything in parables so that everyone will be confused. Correct? If the Son of God wants to confuse you, you're going to get confused. True? And so he's now scolding them for being confused? Isn't that what he just said that was his intent? So he was successful at doing what he wanted to do, and then now he's going to score them? That makes no sense whatsoever. So what if we took it more straightforward, like, hey, guys, you don't understand this parable. How will you understand any other parable? Well, just the same way you're understanding this parable, which is to ask me. What if this was a straightforward leading question? Other possibilities come up. Now, when you think about this, this is a really strange event. There were a large crowd, thousands and thousands. Why? Because Jesus had become a celebrity by this time. He had become extraordinarily famous, right? The word had gone out. I mean, back in those days, population density wasn't like here. I mean, people lived in villages far apart from each other, to gather that kind of crowd. People walked like half a day, a whole day. People, there were times when there was a big crowd and Jesus says, you know, if you let them go, they're going to just starve and die on the way home. So that's why he multiplied the bread, you know? Remember? Like it's not easy to gather this kind of crowd. They walked a long way. They put in a lot of effort to hear him. It's as if you know, there's like a, it's just if there was like an event, a concert, or a speaker you have always wanted to hear. You know, for me, if there existed a person that was a cross between Einstein and Bono, that would be awesome. I would want to go see him, wouldn't you? Let's call this fictional character Einsteino. Okay, Einsteino. And I hear, I live in New York, and let's say, I hear that Einsteino is coming to Madison Square Garden for one night only. And I am so excited. This is my hero. This, I want to, you know, I want to see Jesus. I want to hear Jesus. This is Einsteino. I want to see Einsteino. And so, you know, tickets go on sale and I do like, I go, you know, I stand in line. Sometimes you have to do this. You have to like stand, you have to like live on the street for like a week. You get a tent out there and you stand in line to get that ticket. I don't know when you go to the bathroom, but, you know, I've never done it, so I don't know. But imagine, like, you put in that kind of effort to get the ticket to go see Einstein. You spend a week on the street, get that ticket. Finally, the day comes, and you are at Madison Square Garden with 20,000 other screaming people, and you're so excited. And you're chanting, Einsteino, Einsteino. And he finally comes up on stage. And you are just like, wow, this is the moment. I'm so happy. I get to see Einsteino. And he says, thank you so much for coming. You know, love you all. It's great to be here. I have a story to tell you. I have taught many classes in college. And some students... 
they just never come to class. They're just slackers. They never do any homework. They're always thinking about parties. They're always drunk. They never do any work, and they don't do very well. And then there are other students that come, and they really put in the effort. They do all the homework. They really study, and they do well. Thank you very much. Goodbye. And he leaves. How would you feel? Just put yourself in that person's shoe at Madison Square Garden. You have stayed a week. You have put in all this effort to hear this. How would you feel? Pissed. <laughs> Very good. There will be some cuss words that come, right? You'll be going, what? I'm never going to see this guy again, right? Who does he think he is? How can he treat us like this? I'm done with him, right? I'm going home and tearing up the posters on my wall, right? I'm stomping on them. I'm spitting on them. I'm like, I'm done with that guy. When you think about it, that's exactly what happens here. Jesus, this great teacher, stands up in front of thousands of people and he says, well, some seeds fell on good soil and they did pretty good. Some seeds fell on bad soil and they didn't do so good. <laughs> now, who here didn't know that before? <laughs> who here is willing to admit this is new information to you? <laughs> You've gotten some great new information that's going to help you. Who? Any of you farmers? <laughs> We're not farmers, and we know this. They lived in an agrarian society. They are farmers. They're mostly farmers. And they're sitting there. I, I walked a whole day from my village, and I might starve to death on my way back to hear this. <laughs> yes? Now it's time to go home. What's your response? I think some people are going to go home really pissed. That Jesus guy, I mean, whoever told me about Jesus, I'm going to beat him up. You know? I, I walked all this way to hear this. I mean, this is stupid. I mean, I thought Jesus was something, but I'm done with him. He's never going to come listen to Jesus again. He's, that guy, that guy who went home pissed is, is, is done with Jesus. They are the path. It would have been better if they had never come. Others may have thought, there must be something behind this story. There's something about the way he looks. Something about the way he talks. There must be something more. But then I got cows to milk, and I got fields to plow, I got stocks to trade. I gotta go home. The cares of this world, it's the thorns. And others might have thought, you know, this is something, but if I'm seen with Jesus, you know, he's, he's in big trouble with the authorities. If you see him with him, you might get harassed. 
You might get, you know, thrown out of a synagogue. And so I don't want to be, I mean, I'm okay being here among the tens of thousands. But if I'm seen with him with just a couple other people, that could be trouble for me. That's the ones afraid of persecution. See, people are self-selecting here. And in that scenario, the good soil are the ones who actually stayed and asked questions. And they get more stories, they get more teaching, and above all, they get Jesus. They have interactive relationship with Jesus himself, which is the only thing that will bring forgiveness anyway. Understanding will not bring forgiveness, but Jesus does. And that's what they get. This is a profound passage. You look at the interpretation of the parable, Jesus is saying, seed is the word. And the one who speaks the word is the farmer. So Jesus is the farmer. He's the one speaking the words of God. He's the farmer. And he's speaking words to everyone. So people are the fields. Yes? And he throws it everywhere. He throws it to the thorns and the paths and the good soil. That's a farmer that's going to go bankrupt very soon. Right? I mean, farmers know to put seeds into good soil. Have you ever heard of farmers putting seeds? Oh, oh, here's a thorny patch. There we go. Here's the path. Let's put some seeds over there. That's just, whoever heard, that's a very strange farmer, right? But God is like that. God will throw his seed everywhere to everyone. He's very liberal. There is no exclusion. He is sending his word out to everyone. He doesn't care. He does not. I mean, it just goes out. And then people select themselves. Thorny patch, path, or good soil. And that's what he's looking for with this parable. And this parable is the seed then, because that is the thing that he's speaking. And when you think about that, that is just amazing, because this is like wheels within wheels within wheels. This is a meta parable, because... This story that Jesus is telling is describing what is happening right in front of him. Do you see that? It's not a simple story. It's describing what is happening right in front of him. Not only that, it causes the story to happen. This story, by speaking the story, describes the story and causes the story to happen all at the same time. Do you see that? There's depth within depth within depth. Jesus is just unbelievably economical <laughs> and efficient. <laughs> just one little story. Yeah, economical and efficient. <laughs> it's just unbelievable, right? Just one little story. The story describes what's happening right in front of it, in front of him, and causes the story to happen by speaking and hearing the story itself. Story describes what's happening and causes it to happen by being spoken. It's just one of those like, Bruh. Now Peter, Mark was Peter's secretary. Peter was this illiterate fisherman. 
I just have a hard time believing that Peter came up with this. This is just too much. Do you see how deep the Bible is when you put in the effort? It's just unbelievable how deep it goes. We get disturbed because Jesus seems to be arbitrarily exclusive. That is not the case. People are selecting themselves out by their responses to this story. And we can also understand from this that understanding is not Jesus' priority. He does not care if people understand him or his teachings. In fact, he's the other direction. He wants to confuse people. You see that? Because he doesn't care about understanding. Understanding is not going to save people. Jesus is going to save people. And so he doesn't make his teaching clear. He says, I'm intentionally making it confusing. So I don't give a crap, excuse my language, about you understanding my teachings. That's not going to help. If you assume you understand, you are the path. You are the one who assumes that by hearing this story, you understood what he was saying and you think it was stupid or it was clear or whatever. If you think you understand, you are the path because asking Jesus is the secret of the kingdom of God. So the Bible is not meant to be the answer book. The Bible is not meant to be this clear answer book that gives you understanding. Bible is meant to confuse you and provoke you into pushing into the living God. It has a different purpose than we think. And when we use the Bible as this clear rule book that has all the answers, that's when life turns dry and faith turns dry. That's why the Bible says, if you really love it, you will get juicy life, but it's not, it's not becoming juicy. You're becoming dry. It's because we are not approaching it in the purpose they're supposed to do. We are becoming paths and thorns instead of the good soil that produces a hundredfold juicy life. It's supposed to confuse us, provoke us, disturb us. So don't be afraid when the Bible disturbs you or confuses you. It's good news, actually. It's going to bring juicy life to you. Don't be disturbed. Just go, oh, goody God, I'm going to come ask you, what is this about? Life oftentimes acts in the same way. We get confused with life. You know, we're going along and we are doing the best we can and then something happens. Bad things happen to good people. You know, I've done many marriage counselings and couples, you know, they love each other. They started loving each other and there's just no... Understanding, it's just hard to understand how they came to this place where they are considering divorce. It's hard to understand what happened. 
Your loved ones, out of the blue, gets cancer. Now, one of my best friends, it's just most lovely human being I've ever known, at the age of 36, got terminal cancer with three little kids, a pastor at Boston Vineyard, and a dear, dear friend. Where is God? Where is God? We pray our hearts out. Where is God? And it's hard to understand sometimes. And it can turn our hearts hard. We can become the path. Or we can just get so wrapped up in money and beauty. 